and welcome to A Star to Steer Her By. My name is Jake, and I'm joined by... Chris. Ames. And Caitlin. This is episode 50. Woo! Uh, as well, it is our one-year anniversary. We started this just about one year ago. Whoa. Yeah. I know, isn't that crazy? And We've this survived. We, yeah. we, to, to this point, we survived. By which you mean Ames hasn't killed Jake or I yet. Yes, we None survived the animated show. None of you the put red shirts show. on. And, uh. <laughs> so this week we will be talking, we finally, we've, we've passed through the thicket, the, the dense, horrible forest of the animated series, and oh we're finally God. moving on to the original series movies, where we have the return, the much-anticipated return of Walter Koenig. <laughs> As uh, as Chekhov, but uh, as well we see some other familiar faces in this film. Though. All with different weirder hair. And yeah. alas, yeah. Although, Noah... So, although uh, Rand's hair is less weird. That's true. That's true. No, uh, no Mores and no Eric, though. What, what a shame. They, they got fired off that ship. Got fired out of a fucking <laughs> photon bay. <laughs> 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 um. <laughs> so creepy. Um. Ooh, that was good. Okay, so Star Trek, the motion picture. This is the first of the six uh, films featuring the original cast. And again, the the whole cast has returned. And we also have a couple new additions to this this group. There's um, Decker, Decker, Captain Mm -hmm. Decker, Mm -hmm. soon to be temporarily reduced to commander because Kirk's a jerk. Um, we also get Ilea, the very bald and sexy Ilea, mm-hmm. and Fivehead, Mr. Fivehead. Mr. Fivehead, yeah. Like 17 uh, That's so many heads. <laughs> Vulcan science officer who dies horribly. But at any rate, let's, yeah. uh, let's just quickly, you know, if uh, it's... Oh, fuck. Is he the one that gets, that gets it on the fucking yeah, that's transporter? Why, that's why you never yeah, see him again. That's why we never see oh, him. Oh, I figured he just couldn't get there in time because nope. he was making excuses about timeliness. Well, who was the other person that he fused with or yeah, whatever? Some, some woman. But yeah, that's why Kirk says, like, when you're like passing along your condolences, you have to ask the Vulcan Council for his contact info. Mm. So, uh, just uh, we'll do a brief summary here. So, the ship encounters a probe that has uh, is trying to find its creator. Its creator's name is Roy Kirk. And <laughs> oh, wait, wait, no, wait. That's the sorry. That's the wrong episode. <laughs> Um, I am no man. So the, the actually, what actually happens is... This unit is, is perfect. Yes. The this, this starship, uh, the Enterprise returns. They encounter a, uh, a computer that believes that the Enterprise is another computer and that the crew inside of it is like an infestation or a race of slaves. And then they then they have to tell tell the computer that that humans are not slaves and that they should be able to come to the shore leave planet because oh, wait no that, that's also the wrong episode <laughs> I'm sorry there's a probe headed towards Earth to talk to whales fuck <laughs> the Jake unit is doing a terrible job yes no so actually means rock yes <laughs> this episode is this episode this movie is. 
The plot to the film is quite familiar if you've been paying attention. It definitely borrows heavily from other stories, but essentially the deal is there is a giant cloud of shit headed towards Earth. It's destroying everything in its path, including some Klingons. It's also like that fucking animated series episode too, right? With the sentient cloud that like keeps killing people? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, one of our planets is missing. Yeah, That's one of our it. planets. And the Enterprise being the only ship anywhere near earth but and the only ship between earth and klingon space okay <laughs> is it has to be put into service unfinished because they're getting a refit and then they go out and they try to beat this cloud and long story short it Too turns late. out it turns out that it's uh it's basically nomad and yeah. it's going back to find his creator and Whoops. LOL, whoops. But it is, in fact, Voyager 6, which was like a space probe. Yeah. And then a robot and a person have to fuck to save the day. He was I okay with it. I didn't really understand the ending of this movie. Yeah, like, why did the two that. of them? Well, we should, because I don't understand Where it. Where did we begin at the beginning? Well, let's begin before the beginning. Oh. Because... In, in retrospect, it's a fucking miracle this thing even happened at all because all the fucking administrative chaos that led up to deciding, okay, let's do a movie, like, was so drawn out and awful that the fact that the motion picture occurred is, like, fantastic. When you say fantastic... When it, no, well, I like it, though, so that's the other oh, that's thing. Like, I, I, like, I like the movie for what it is. Yes, it has its faults. Many, many faults. Most <laughs> of the faults are post-production's fault, though. So, and a little bit of the directing, and a yeah, little bit of, say... and a little bit of Shatner, and a little bit of some other stuff. The costumes. Uh, we'll I'll get, get to, to those. We'll get to those. But no, so like they've been, they've been talking about doing a movie since you know even during like animated series, even I think earlier than that, in that than that saying we should do a movie. Like Roddenberry pitched a, a, a weird one about sentient cows and whether or not or we can like eat sentient cows if they're if they have sentience that one obviously didn't happen he pitched another one that was very similar to this one called the god thing which would have been in like 1975 that one wasn't picked up either they brought in some british guys asked them to pitch one they pitched a weird time traveling thing where kirk goes missing they find him on a planet that would have been invisible i have to save him from a black hole that's going to consume the planet and they somehow do and then they realize oh we were the original inhabitants of this planet the 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 titans because we went back in time did they accidentally just hire a couple of guys from doctor who and they were just like, oh, blimey, this was due last week. Um, quick, quick, what's that script we never used for Baker? Here you are, gentlemen, totally original story. Says Doctor, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Doctor Kirk. Doctor Star Trek. <laughs> Doctor Trek. Yeah, but then those guys leave and they decide, okay, well, in that case, forget the movie thing. Let's do Star Trek Phase 2 as a new series on our new our new network that Paramount wanted to put together. The Paramount Network or whatever the fuck it was called. UPN. <laughs> it would eventually turn into UPN, I think. But at the time, they were trying to put together a new network. Didn't work out eventually. And they used what would have been this new network to launch a, re- a new Star Trek. And could get everybody back except for Spock. So they would have replaced him with a, a new Vulcan character named Zahn. Who, fun fact, because Zahn never gets seen again out of outside of uh, Phase 2, played the guy on the doomed uh, Epsilon space station oh. who, like, is talking to the camera and stuff. Wasn't Ilea going to be in Phase 2, too? Ilea was going to be in Phase 2 as well, and uh, Decker was going to be in Phase 2, because the, the whole 
like hope was to kind of move away from Shatner and Nimoy and and Kelly and folks because they were old. They were, a they were getting old and B they're fucking expensive as shit. <laughs> so they bring in these no, these new young cheapskates and we can do whatever the fuck we want with them. Decker would eventually just kind of like mold into the captain's role. Mm. Ilea would do whatever the fuck. She ended up essentially being Troy later. Yeah. Uh, a good blueprint for Troy. I always thought it was kind of funny that the guy who was going to play Zahn didn't even get to play Sonak. I mean, Sonak, it's, well, they both get fucking killed. Yeah, more like, neither had a huge part, you know? It just seems funny that, like, instead of still making him the, like, token Vulcan guy, we're just going to make him a... I mean, I guess he probably had more lines than Sonak, That's so... That's true. His death, his death had more, like, to do with it than just seeing a blurred horrifying melting person yeah oh god oh I, no i love that scene i fucking love that still scene gives me so the willies scary wasn't isn't it also true that one of the pre-production designs that they did for the ship for the enterprise for phase two actually ended up being recycled into the design that they're using for um for the discovery yes oh for discovery i never heard this yeah yeah, yeah. there's there's some old uh, drawings of the sort of the, the refit of the enterprise would have gone so far as to give it a triangular engineering oh. section like the discovery now has huh. and all that yeah cool 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 Sorry, I'm skewing. Go yeah. on. Uh, what else? What else was in my phase two, finally? Yeah, so as I said, Nimoy wanted nothing to do with it. Firstly, because, you know, he was doing a lot of stage stuff at the time. But also because he and Roddenberry were having so many fucking feuds over, like, merchandise issues. Oh. That he was like, no, like, with all of this, I'm just going to have to say no and, and do my thing. And also, fuck you. <laughs> fuck, fuck you, Roddenberry. So that when they finally did the movie and Robert Wise, the director, comes on says... No, we kind of need Spock. Everyone everyone who's a Trekkie is telling me we absolutely need Spock and won't be a movie without Spock. You know what? Just fucking pay him. Just fucking pay the guy. <laughs> so that we can get him to do a thing. And yeah, but then the fucking uh, whole network thing caved and they realized, ah, let's fuck doing this series to begin with, even though they, they, they were like a week from, from shooting. They'd already built the fucking bridge and all this <laughs> stuff. Oh, no. I actually think I've seen some footage that they actually did shoot really i didn't know that. yeah i, I thought I, they hadn't started yet because i well i don't know if it was maybe it was just rehearsal video like fo- like video taken during rehearsals because it wasn't good quality but um yeah because i saw a documentary once about the making of motion picture and they had in that some shots that were that were of zon oh uh, wow being you know acting on the yeah. set good of, for him of the phase two yeah, it's such it's it's actually a big shame that they they lo- they lost him doing so because he seemed like a nice guy. But then the series fell under, and you know, also Star Wars was making like fucking huge bank, mm. and they said, "Oh fuck, we should have gone movie after all. Let's see if we can catch up." Let's do something that's completely opposite from what Star Wars is. Star Wars is a fun space adventure. Let's not do that. This is a little more like two thousand one, where it's just weird and lots of effects. Yeah, it's... for me, like this this movie, probably of all of the movies, the thing is, the movies that are, are most maligned are this and Star Trek Five. Five. But of all the movies, those are the two that are probably closest to the original series mm-hmm. in like theme and yeah, and, and that's scope. why I kind of like this one. I like this one because it reminds me of the series. It reminds me more of a television show because this would have been the two-hour premiere of the new series. They just turned it into a movie by adding lots more effects. But yeah, definitely, speaking as someone who's never actually seen, I've seen random snippets of 2001 and I'm aware of it as a pop culture artifact, it does feel like they took the Changeling 
and someone else's secondhand account of 2001 <laughs> and smashed them together. And it's just like... Well... Yeah. Like, they want it, they're like, they know that, like, okay, we're Star Trek. Like, we've got to be, we're sort of the, we're the brainy one, right? So we need to be more about thoughtfulness and science than this Star Wars with its laser jet fights and this and that. And it, I think I understand it was a noble attempt, but my god, the pacing. The pacing's really bad. Yeah. The pacing's mostly bad because they never had a test screening. Seriously? They never no. They never had an a, an audience uh, test screening of this movie. But why? Because they ran out of time. Because oh. they oh took so fucking long to do all those fucking optics mm. and to get the to get all the music done. The music was done, I think, like ten days before. <laughs> Five the, minutes before. The- yeah, like no, it was uh, six days. Six days before release date, the music was done. Holy mm. shit! Jesus and, I mean, Christ! I'm glad they took their time. With yeah, the, the music, music was pretty. Although I did also see that the the original song that they were going to use for the Enterprise approach scene, which ends up being, you know, the main theme music, which is then reused much later for TNG, that there was originally a different song there, oh. and it was fully scored and recorded, and you can actually see on YouTube that whole sequence set to the other, the original score. Huh. huh. What um, happened? They didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the, the producers or the director, somebody... Listened to it and was like, or like watched the test of it and was like, this sounds like a sailing ships type music. It's actually not too too different from what it ended up being, mm. but it's it the what they ended up with is better than what they. Which is funny because you think about the Star Trek two music, especially the main theme, and it has a very nautical feel. Yeah. So it's funny that they at first resisted it for this one, but um, it's also funny because. Half the reason this theme became the TNG theme was because they had a different theme originally, mm. and it was frankly terrible. I've heard it; it's also on YouTube. And they was like, "Oh God, what do we have?" Yeah. Oh, it's good because this theme is amazing. Yeah, it's so. a very good song, good. very good music in this film. That's yeah. I don't know. I think the special effects in this movie—they look shitty and dated to us, mm-hmm. but I think probably for the time they were pretty damn good. There's, I mean. Like there's, I mean, the ship looks, the ships look good. The clouds look good for the time. The only time it really failed was towards the end, where the Enterprise is going to the core of V'ger, mm. and there were moments where it, it really looked like a model, mm. even for like this. And maybe that was a result of maybe they were having to rush that bit. Who knows? Maybe it was one of the last things they did or something. Because again, like I even said while we were watching it, it's like it's a good model. I just feel like they lit it wrong, so it looked like a model, yeah, not what it you know, another ship. Hmm. I have very mixed feelings about this movie because I really think it's a good story. Yeah, I love the story. I just think that the the pacing of it, and again, it's a product of its time. You know, movies in the 70s, you know, 60s and 70s were made a lot different than they are even in the 80s. Yeah. They could be longer because uh, chances were you were tripping on hallucinogenic yeah, drugs maybe. during the... Well, I mean, so like take 2001, prime example. You know, so that's 10 years before this movie, but yeah, that's a really long, boring movie. With an inexplicable ending. With an yeah. inexplicable ending. With basically the same ending. Yeah. More or less, actually, this yeah. Movie, yeah. This was sort of... This is the dumbed-down 2001. A little bit. But oh then, my you God. Know, no... Like, Oh, God. Like Apocalypse Now, you know that's another movie that's just very long and it's slow as dog shit though, right? But it's good, but it's well paced. Yeah, like it's it's not a, it's not a action a minute type of film, but it's 
the where the action is and how it moves from scene to scene is really well done. This this movie here, Star Trek. Ugh. It's, I mean, you could solve a huge amount of the problem just by cutting short some of those effect sequences they were so yeah. in love with. Oh, I and they were the... so expensive, too. Ugh. Well, which is why they had to, like, be in love with them. So, yeah, we, we timed the shuttle, Kirk and Scotty taking their little pod to the Enterprise. And that whole sequence from the shuttle departing from regular one, because that flipped upside down will be regular one in the next film, but from the shuttle... Detaching from the space office and then attaching to the Enterprise is 5 minutes and 52 seconds. 1 minute 8 seconds was the last line of dialogue. So a good 4... Almost almost 5 minutes of of just listening to the song. And looking at the Enterprise from a whole bunch of different angles. And looking at Shatner, yeah. Looking like vaguely constipated. Also just like shots of the shuttle itself, not yeah. even including the Enterprise. Yeah. Really shitty shots first of like the shuttle with like a picture of Scotty and Kirk like transposed onto it and then from Looking like, really flat, yeah. Yeah, and then like actually with them in the shuttle so you can get a good close up of like Shatner's overly mascarid lashes. Yeah, they really you pointed out a couple times, but there were some weird makeup issues on this film. Hmm. Yeah, it was not great. Speaking of makeup, uh, this is the very first appearance of the... Lumpy Klingon. Got Lumpy his mustache. Klingon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that too, yes. And, you know, it's been a while since I've seen the film, and what really stuck out to me was that the Klingon makeup, even in this movie, is very different from the Klingon makeup we'll see in Star Trek Three. I had trouble yeah. even seeing what they looked like. I mean, in, they were just... In, they in, looked in like, they, you know, they had, like, mostly flat foreheads, except a row of, like... Yeah, right down the middle. Right down the middle, like a, a narrow row of ridges. Yeah. So it's definitely not the full forehead ridge that we get in Star Trek Three yeah, that's... and Worf and all that. Yeah. I was trying so hard to like recognize Mark Leonard because he's one of he's the captain. He's the Klingon captain. Yeah. And he looks nothing like Mark Leonard anymore. So yeah. Mark Leonard who plays Sarek. Yeah. Of course, most famously. And, and, and Romulan Commander. Romulan Commander. Did yep. Dewin write the Klingon dialogue? He did. He did, and he said, like, take whatever and just cut all the vowels. Yeah. Hmm. So then I know in three, when they actually had people like get their names right now, write a full language, they had to use the sounds do what it created as a base and work from there. I think the sound, like, the, the logic behind the sounds makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, no, it works brilliantly. It works, it's nice. Did they actually say anywhere in the film that they are Klingons? I didn't notice. Like, we know they're Klingons. They definitely mentioned Klingon space, right? Yeah, I, I don't know did, if that yeah. means not the same thing. But, but yeah, you're, that's a good point. I mean, they're on been... Klingon ships that we would recognize. Right. But, yeah. but those could also be Romulan ships, because oftentimes those ships were associated with Romulans, too. Yeah, it's a good point. It's not made terribly explicit in the film. They're just hoping you'll get it. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if people in the theater be like, oh, that's what are these new weird aliens? This also had, um, you know, during that sequence, the Klingon theme that Jerry Goldsmith wrote, which will reappear in five, and will reappear in the TNG movies as Worf's theme. Mm. Mm-hmm. I actually like that this that Klingon theme. How did, yeah, it, how did it go? I'm so bad at noticing things. Da 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 da
TN. Definitely First Contact, and I'm pretty sure Nemesis and Insurrection. Mm. Generations with someone else whose name escapes me right now. Mm. But if you go on our Tumblr, I wrote a whole lengthy article about the various movie themes and what I think of them. Mm. Wow. They're shit! They're shit! No, no, I, I, I like... That's good work. No, that's, no the, good. that's the uniforms you're thinking of, Ames. No, no I even like most of the uniforms. Just not these ones. These what ones a, are what, all awful. What a great segue. <laughs> Good segue, Chris. <laughs> oh, these... Sorry, Caitlin. Fucking Did somebody say segue? <laughs> so, anyone who, you know, has been following us for a while and anyone has read the Tumblr knows that I am the self-appointed aesthetics pedant... Pedant? Whatever. Wow. Well, Worst pedant ever. Seriously. Of this podcast. And it, you know full well if you've read these articles that these are... I hate these uniforms more than any other Starfleet uniform in the history of the series. I loathe them. They are terrible. They look like fucking pajamas. The feet are sewn on, too. They are, which does not help the fucking pajama look. I'm sorry, the feet are sewn on? Did you not notice the the shoes are sewn in? They had to, like, like custom the the shoes for each actor, too, because of it, because they all had different size feet, obviously, so they couldn't just put any ones on a pair of pants. But that's not... Why would you want that? Because it's dumb. That doesn't it's really even make dumb. any sense. Like that's your footy pajamas. That's all. <sighs> I'm just annoyed that that the va- weird inconsistency. Because let's get this straight, right? It's a fucking military organization, Starfleet. Allegedly, I'm just kidding. And the, the equivalent the, of a military what they're wearing are uniforms and uniforms should be uniform. Uniform. <laughs> Yet in you know people every shot. You see different variations, different types. Like some people had basically a jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some so, had the flap that co- covers the crotch. Some did not God. get the flap yeah. that covers some the crotch. Some had like some. Sometimes they had like little short sleeve, you know, t-shirts, Athletic muscle shirts. Takei had that like wrap around at one point. Yeah. Like which was the only one that looked even remotely okay. Frankly. I thought I thought the the white t-shirt on Kirk looked. Oh, like the admiral's uniform actually I don't mind, and that makes its way into the Kelvin timeline as the official admiral's uniform again. So is that the was that the gray one with like the the white and the, yeah. the, the one you see? Yeah. I actually yeah, like, like that. Bib. That was all right. Yeah, that's specifically the admiral's uniform. That's not so bad. I mean, so again, no, I mean good, the, the I mean the I meant the later the one with the t-shirt with the with the deep V. Oh, that one just looked. I just think the form looked good on him. It looked good on, him, but it just looks so unprofessional. Well, also it was like huh. a very sheer white. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Which so, I just don't. I hate that about whites. So back when I wrote that article about the uniforms, I, I mentioned this this old Omni magazine article where they interviewed the costume designer for the motion picture. Oh dear! It's now hosted on some website called Futurism Media that seems to mostly host some really weird crap. But this was very useful. Part of the reason for the sheer number of uniforms uh, is actually loosely inspired by the actual military. He says. In the original, there was just one uniform, and that was that. But this time, in order to give more visual variety, everyone had a dress uniform, a class A and B uniform, fatigues, recreational, just as you do in a real military organization. They have that many in a real military organization? Supposedly. But even then, I feel like everyone on the Enterprise had, like, 20, so... I mean... And they were changing them constantly. Constantly. Like, where were they finding the time to change clothes this much? It's like, oh god, we've been fired on. Quick, I need my my fatigues. Yeah, like, what is going on? There's a quote in here from the costume designer, uh, which just, to me, explains everything. I've never studied design. (laughs) (laughs) 
There it he is. He was... His major was archaeology, then history and literature. Wait, how the fuck did he get to be costume designer? He ended up... How does Jean-Luc Picard become a starship captain? I don't know. His major was so he'd always been on, in his free time a painter and an artist. He eventually became an actor and then wound up working in costuming you know, in stage and that segued into film and television. I mean, having said that, I mean, he did, you know, he made, like, there, there's some pictures in here. He, to his credit, there is some stuff that stuck around. You know, like the sort of the look of formal, like ceremonial wear on Vulcan. Mm, like yeah. what he establishes here, good. we'll keep seeing. Right. What's really sad, there's some photos in here, some really interesting costumes for like alien civilians. Oh, the ones you see in that opening scene at like that tram, that right, but you train don't actually equivalent. Yeah, and you don't see any of them in the film that well. There's some pictures, like, these various species, and they have these lengthy backgrounds that he used, like, all right, so they should have this and this. And, like, some of the designs are actually really, really good. Yeah, for you to see them for 0.2 seconds in the background of, of a crowded scene. Yeah, and instead what you mostly see are these abysmal uniforms. Oh, uh, they're real bad. Now, I wonder how much of the uniform debacle lies on Roddenberry. And I say that because later... We will get the TNG first and second season one piece spandex bodysuits. My second least favorite uniforms. Which is, yeah, they're awful. But the, these, the jumpsuits at least remind me of those in a little bit. And, and that was a, that, those jumpsuits on TNG, I'm pretty sure I read, and I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get there. But that was a, a Roddenberry thing where he was convinced that in the future everyone will be wearing spandex, that spandex is the material. Of the future. Does he think that there aren't going to be fat people in the future? Or Apparently, well, Speaking as a person yes. of size, I would much prefer to wear basically anything I mean, else the, than the a spandex, spandex suit. wasn't really flattering on anyone. Yeah, no, even like... That, well, that's the thing. It's like in here there's a quote where he talks about how, you know, oh, we wanted a design that would look good on everyone. It's like, well, you wound up with a design that looked good on no one, so halfway there. A skin-tight it's sausage very, suit is not going to look good very, on everybody. Very egalitarian. Yeah. Everyone from what looks I, equally shitty. That's from, from true. What I, from what I read, they felt shitty, too, because I guess, like, the the crotch just would, like, if you tried to sit with those, with the crotch yeah, on those Yeah, we pants, saw how the crotches were working on this movie, for sure. You'd, you'd lose your balls or lose some other bits. Oh. That that's why Shatner had to try to convince Nimoy to sit down so many times in that scene. He was oh, actually, he was wanna. supposed to sit down, but I Nimoy refused. Wanna. I will say, like, so the aesthetic failings of the uniforms aside, uh, the music is lovely. It's just put over scenes that are far too long. And, you know, the refit Constitution class looks great. It's, yeah. it's a very nice ship. Yeah, this, this, I mean, for me personally, this is, I think, my favorite Enterprise. Just aesthetically, personally. I don't know. I've always liked it, even when I was a kid. This will look, but I like those square nacelles. Yeah. I just always thought it looked really badass. Yeah, it's a good look. Yeah. You know, I feel like the, the neck looks a lot more solid than it did during TOS. Mm. It always just looked like it should be snapping in half. This, this it looks a little more solid, and I appreciate that. The, the nacelle pylons also, just they add like a little bit of flair, and that just makes them look a little more well put together. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a 70s ship. Like, yeah. It is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a 70s aesthetic. Yeah, and the, oh my god, the interior in this one is so 70s. Oh, yeah. Thank god they redesigned a lot of that for the remaining films. I also like that, you know, because obviously they were shooting, you know, in the original show they were not worried about 
fidelity in the picture, and mm. therefore I think the model, the, although the model itself, you see the original series model is, is fairly detailed. Like, it's not a shitty model, but it didn't have a lot of, like, surface detail, really. And in the movie, though, like, they were filming it on film, and it was going to be displayed in movie theaters, so they put a lot of effort into making the ship look... Like it could be a real ship. And yeah, the lighting in there plates. Can, must be yeah. amazing too. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this is the first time we see the surface of the you know the skin of the ship essentially, and they do this thing which you know where you know like the steel plates, the individual steel plates that they bolt down or whatever are actually visible, and they they shimmer differently, and yeah. it becomes sort of a a look that a lot of the uh, star Starfleet ships have, which is a sort of I think the uh, the term that they use in the model building world is Aztecing because it kind, oh, okay. of, kind of looks like Aztec symbols when sure. you look at it. Huh. Now, I also know that um, apparently, you know, in the series, Nimoy could wear, could rewear the ears a couple of times before he'd have to get them replaced. But in the movie, he had to, he went through like three pairs of ears a day. Wow. Because... Were they like melting them the lights or something? Well, or? they would, they just show wear and tear of being on your head and they'd oh. have to like just scrap them, get new ones. So they were just printing out ear after ear after ear all through the production run. Wow. Good God, I hope they eventually worked it out so that they could at least get a pair of ears last a day. I don't know. I don't think they Not did. for this movie, wow. anyway. Oh, yeah, not for that. I mean, in future, though, just as... I mean, eventually they just paid for Nimoy's ears to be surgically altered. To, to be sense. caught in a rice picker? Yes. To be surgically caught in a rice picker? Yes. I don't know. Excuse me. It was a... It was a Sanitary I mean, stainless he- steel. Hell, yeah. they, they shaved uh, Persis Kambata's head, so... Yeah. She was none too pleased originally. Mm-hmm. She was a, uh, what do they call Miss India. Really? Uh, like, model. Huh. She's Indian? Yeah. Like, India is in... As in as in the country. Interesting. I would not have imagined her as being Indian. No, when, when she's got she, that... She looks less Indian than... Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I actually when she's have, got I the hair, you can see it a whole lot oh, better okay. now. Because she had, like, like gorgeous supermodel hair because she was a model. Uh, and no wonder she was mad about them shaving her hair, yeah. I mean. Although, considering the quality of some of the bald caps we got in TOS, I'm glad she uh, <laughs> let them. I mean, they probably would have done a better job, but... I, I don't know, though, considering some of the weird makeup we had in this. Spock's very pink lips. I uh, wouldn't have noticed until you brought it up. Shatner's way too much eyeliner too in most much. scenes. Yeah. Again, I wouldn't have noticed that. I did notice he's, he looked like he lost some weight. He's, he claimed that he was, like, exercising and eating nothing for the weeks up to the movie. Shatner? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, she, with hair, she actually Let's does see. look Indian. Like, well, to post she's it. She's so pretty. Yeah, she is. She's very pretty. But, yeah, like, the hair just totally makes it. Wow. Is this recent? No, I think that's... No, she actually died at quite the time. Yeah, she's dead. Oh, that's so sad. But, yeah. <laughs> she's gorgeous, yeah. Yeah. Ilea's fucking weird though. Let's let's get into Ilea. Yeah, you said I know you, you guys. Some... You guys were asking because Ilea. When we meet Ilea, and she's hilarious. She walks in and she says, "What does she? What does she say again?" My oath of celibacy still stands. Yes. So the idea, and you know, Ilea would have been a character on the series when the series was being made, and there was a whole big like character list and a whole tome of like what the new stories in the series are, what the characters are like now that it's been ten years. Who the fuck is Ilea? She is a Delton. Deltons are known, you know, they're they're completely bald except for their eyebrows and eyelashes. 
apparently. Well, we never get to see if there's any more, but... Her brows were amazing. I mean, in, in her defense. Supermodel. But anyway, getting back to Ilea. The idea behind the Deltons is that they come from a people who are so hypersexual that literally everything they do has a weird sexual tone to it. Like, all their friends, they're just... They just bang their friends. All oh. their all their relatives, they just... They just have, they, they wear their sex on their sleeve so that when she comes to Starfleet and has to do fucking anything, she has to take a vow of chastity. Because Did she'll Jean just be come up with this? Or... Oh, I'm certainly yeah, Roddenberry. I was going to ask the same thing. That's yeah, pure that is, that is fucking. Roddenberry all written all over. See, what's funny though is what's great about it without any of that context, it's just like the first thing she says when meeting Kirk. It's like, look, I fucking heard of you. Back off. I know, in the movie, it comes out of nowhere, and yeah, you're like, so why weird, is this here? Why is it in here? Why did you keep like that element of her cut, character? I wonder if that was like a cut line. Maybe somebody mentions, like, because when they're like, oh, she's a Delton, everyone looks at each other, and, and Chekhov gives a big ear-to-ear grin. Yeah, like, it really... Some, I hear Delton girls are easy. Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't. Speaking of... of Walter, you said he actually got injured. Yeah, at some point? yeah. When they were doing the explosion at his station, and then his sleeve like catches fire. So under the, under the sleeve, he was wearing like like what some kind some of, kind of retardant, yeah, something some kind or of other. foil around the arm so he doesn't get burned. But I guess he got burned anyway. <laughs> he was wearing some kind of foil under the under the sleeve, which was supposed to keep him from getting burned, but instead made him well done without any <laughs> brittle marks. So yeah, so what happened was we didn't realize they meant that flame retardant foil. We just literally <laughs> brought in tin foil. Yeah, we wrapped him in Reynolds. Yeah. No, great. because he's like, he's like, I don't want to get burned. I don't know why he's speaking Russian. We always do this with poor people. He is method I don't want to get burned, so I will accent. wrap my arm in the foil from the sandwich you gave me. Oh, <laughs> oh poor oh. Persis got herself hurt, too, because that, that little gem thing at her throat yeah. that, that she wears when she's the probe. Was made of broken glass. Uh, that singed her throat a little bit. Jesus. Well, and also, it, in right? that in that sonic shower, when, she's, like, when she first appears as the probe out of the, the sonic shower, and you see all the smoke, the smoke of course, it isn't smoke. The smoke is dry ice, and it's fucking she, freezing in in there. And she like got too cold. I forget if she like had some kind of like cold burns or something. Jesus, who the <laughs> fuck was in charge of safety on this fucking they, uh, set? They had her standing Walter, barefoot. That's the problem. Barefoot on dry ice, and she Seriously. lost both of her feet. Fucking uh, amateur hour. Uh, I'm like her hair did grow back okay though, so there's that. Thank God. I'm I'm genuinely kind of upset on all the actors' behalf though. Like, what the actual fuck, Robert Wise? Get your shit together and fucking get a better editor. Mm. Yeah, that's what this movie needed was some serious cutting. There's a whole sequence in the middle of the movie, really for no discernible reason other than to maybe do some more special effects, where the ship goes out of control in warp. Oh, when they enter that stupid fucking wormhole. They go into a wormhole. God, it's so unnecessary. And there's an asteroid in the wormhole. It literally shows us nothing. Oh my god, and the weird slow talking. Like the scene wasn't long enough. Like really, the only thing we got from that scene, the only thing we got from that scene was Decker countermanding Kirk's orders to fire phasers. Yeah. I mean, we also got that warp is on the fritz. Warp, yeah. warp we haven't quite figured out yet, but we also know that things aren't working well on the ship because of the transporter action. Yeah. Oh, right, exactly. That's like, Do we need everything we to not need, be working? We didn't need a second the ship is broken scene. We could have just had them warp. 
they just where couldn't they need to go. Or maybe they warp and the ship just breaks down well, and they, then Spock comes and rescues them. It's like they couldn't think of a better way to actually finally really prove to the audience, like, yeah, no, actually, Kirk is a little in over his head with this new model and needs Decker there to point out when he's about to break everything. Yeah. But there had to have been a better... Or at least... Get rid of the slow talking, at least, and the scene would have been that much shorter. That's the thing. You could have cut that scene in half if they had just continued talking at a normal pace. Well, yeah, you could have cut that scene shorter. You could have cut the Enterprise flyby shorter, the V'ger fly through shorter. Yeah, like All of these are just, like, the optics going out of control because look at all the pretty things we can do with 70s level technology. Which, again, it's very impressive, boys, but we're just... Uh, so it is... The movie, that is a theme of the movie that I think is overlooked quite a bit, and that is the sort of Kirk grasping onto his command yeah. in a way that might not be. It, remind, you know, it reminded me, it made me think a little bit about Pike and how he was in, in during when he was talking to Dr. 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 Bartender. Dr. Drinks. Dr. Drinks. <laughs> You know, that it was sort of like, you know, Kirk is getting old and he's... He's been know, behind a desk. He's been for behind two a, and desk, a half years desk now. for years and he doesn't belong there and he doesn't feel like he belongs there. And somehow he manages to find his way out of there every time he needs to. Yep. Which is why they eventually say, fuck it, he's a captain again. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Even Doc was like, Jim. Jim, what are you fucking... You're being doing? obsessed. What, what was doing? with McCoy this fucking... <laughs> what the fuck was with McCoy uh, this entire fucking movie? He was criminally underused. Yep. There was no, like, he had, it's like he had no purpose and they didn't know what to do and with him. And they kept having him. basically exactly what was going on. Was yeah. it like two or three times where he came to the bridge, literally said nothing, and then left? Yep. Yeah. Well, they called, they called, they, he was on the after call sheet that day, so he had to be there. I was like, uh, come here, Bones. Okay, we're done. Go, go away. So, yeah. Because we already filmed a bit that you're not in. If you're a fan of Star Trek, and I'm going to say, at the, at the, uh, if you were a fan of the original series, you were a fan of. Like, you guys again remember, you, this is 1978. Yep. There's no other movies, there's no other Star Trek stuff other than the original Star series. Star Trek's been off for nine years. Probably not. 79, isn't it? Or 79, whatever. Whatever year this came ten out. 10 years. So it's been off the air for 10 years, and that the only exposure you have to Star Trek. Now, all the other characters, Rand, Chapel, Sulu, Chekhov, even Uhura, are, and Scotty to an extent, are all sort of, you know, they were the crew, but the main people, the main guys, was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yep. They were the, the trio. That's why it's them, the three that go out with Decker and Robo Leah mm-hmm. out to the machine at the end. Because it's Star Trek is those three guys. Like yeah. Those, they're the stars of the show. And I don't think the screenwriters got that. Yeah. Because the relation... So they do have a little, like, you know, lip service towards the relationship between Kirk and McCoy. But none of the personality is there. I really think that, like, yes, having Spock with the with the colon R and all that was, you know, like, sure. But it kind of ruined Spock's character through most of the movie. Like, yeah. Because he's well, such... I think they add, they added him in so late that they had to, like, squit. Like, you're like, okay, we, we have Nimoy now. He said yes. Write him in somewhere. <laughs> yeah, what do we do? Yeah, because, like... Make him go on a spacewalk for ten fucking minutes. Because he's, he's just a jerk most of the movie, you know? Yeah. And then, like, at the end, after he has sex with V'ger <laughs> he comes back and he's back to normal Spock. Why didn't he just mind meld Ilea instead of going into V'ger? Because he couldn't stop looking at that throbbing hey, that, orifice. Uh, I must enter that sphincter. Yeah. There, well, was, there was definitely some, some weird 
impregnation subtext Ugh. symbolism I in this movie. Like right. This is pawn far enough. <laughs> this is pawn far <laughs> enough. Ames, the reason he had to spacewalk instead of mind melding with the robot was because, hey, there's that whole sequence in 2001 we kind of want to knock off. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Um, I don't think I've seen any of 2001 A Space Odyssey, so I have no idea what you're talking it's about. It's weird. There's a, it's, it's a it's, good movie. I understand there's it's, a computer yeah, who's evil. It's That's big. one segment of it. It's like a movie in a bunch of little segments. Is yeah. an evil computer not the whole point? No. What? The, the point of the the point of two thousand one is look at the special effects we human, have. No, it's like <laughs> human human evolution. Yeah, it's the idea that aliens have been involved in steering human evolution since hmm. the beginning, and like they only take an interest every now and again. So this, I guess, is sort of the opposite, where it's it's a machine is evolving. And uh, we have to help it along to the next level. Which is a nice, which is a nice storyline. I kind of like the storyline. Yeah, story it's all you know. It's it's, a, what's really really funny is they didn't have the ending. They didn't know what to do with the ending until that was pretty clear. Way after they were, <laughs> they were already producing, um, they were already uh, like shooting, um, acting, and stuff. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, Casablanca. They didn't know how that was going to end until they got there. But that's a classic. Wow. It was mostly a, a just. It was mostly just fighting between Roddenberry and the guy that was doing that. They like dragged, kicking and screaming in uh, Harold Livingston to do the writing. That the two of them did not get along. That Livingston said like he tried to rewrite everything Roddenberry wrote. Roddenberry tried to rewrite everything Livingston wrote, and they just hated the shit out of each other. Livingston quit like three times. Jesus. Why were either of them working on this movie? Like Roddenberry sucks, writer. I mean, just the fact that he wanted to pitch a movie that was about sentient cows, like... I'm guessing it was, a like, a vegetarianism... Well, sure, thing. and that, that sounds like a fine basis for an episode. But a whole movie, you're like... A movie? <laughs> <laughs> point. But, like, seriously, like, how is that a basis for a film? That's, that's an episode. If there was an episode of Star Trek, sure. But how the fuck do you make a movie out of that? Or I'm maybe, sure Peter would love it if it existed. The best. I know that's what I was thinking when you were talking about it. I was like, I was thinking like, wow, was he like a big vegetarian Peter supporter type of person? I don't know. But yeah, it would have been a good this. animated series episode, frankly. Oh, and by good, I mean it would have been terrible. But yeah. so was the rest of the animated. Series. And even this, like I said, like Jake said, like we've all said, like this is just like it's it's nomad. There's shades, I get you know, of of other things in there. It's a television episode stretched. Out Fifty Shades of Nomad. Yeah. And they really yeah. If it were an episode, it would be a great shit. episode. Yeah, if it had been, they would just cut all the all the expensive shit because this was fu- this was a really really fucking expensive movie at the time. One of the most expensive at the time. It cost forty six million dollars in seventies money. In the seventies money. That's a lot of money for a movie now. A lot of the like a, a chunk of that was the Phase Two stuff because right. that kind of like just got enveloped in the in the budgeting because they reused like the bridge and they reused a bunch of stuff even though they had to like fix it all up to be usable on the big screen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really fucking expensive. Like considering their original budget was fifteen million dollars. Oh right, so that was the phase. They used the Phase Two sets. I thought. I was confused. I was like, wait, they couldn't. these couldn't have been the Desilu sets. Those, I'm sure, were long gone. Oh, yeah, those were long gone. Yeah, we'll talk about it when we do Wrath. What, Wrath cost $11 million, which was, you know, on budget and fine, but they also reused most stuff from the picture. Well, they reused picture. footage, for yeah, God's sake. Yeah, they used, like, a lot of the optics they used, the models they used, the bridge. Yeah, well, I mean, the, two they get a ships. lot of mileage out of these sets. Because That's great. There, there's the, the main hallway that we see throughout the movie. Yeah. 
is reused. Every in, hallway we ever see is in TNG. I mean, there's the engineering, the core. Like obviously, it's been re refit several times, but mm-hmm. the, the engineering set, it's the same set. That set looked good as on uh, TNG, just redone. Oh, you know what? Set you I... can recognize like the elevator. Yeah. You know what set I fucking hated? What recreation deck. Fucking hated recreation deck. Mm. With its bright orange, not even bright, sort of burnt with orange its, rug. Its, and... With its stupid bowling alley floor and its weird yeah, stupid, that... like, like lift them up Lego set games. That and... and the, like, screensaver for Shatner's TV were the most 70s thing about this enterprise. It was also fucking TV, enormous. The recreation deck, it took up an entire fucking, like, studio. For it just this huge. one fucking room that was used twice and looked dumb. Now, here's the thing, right? Because... I feel like to scale this ship, this Enterprise, must be way bigger than it was in the show. Because I, I'm just thinking of the the shuttle bay. Because in the show, the shuttle bay is... Like a garage. It's like a garage. It's like a little, like maybe twice as wide as the shuttle itself. Like you could maybe fit two side by side. A two, a two shuttle garage. Mm-hmm. This that engineering deck, you know the 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 lower hull on this ship looked a fuck ton wider than that. Well, you see, that wasn't the shuttle bay we saw. That was a cargo bay. Oh, yeah. There's a little. True? There was a yeah. There's a little voiceover at one point after Kirk had landed and gotten off. Shuttle pod now <laughs> available. And gotten off. <laughs> after he landed and gotten off. <laughs> but, you know, there's a little on the PA. You hear, you know, shuttle pod now available at cargo six. So where I don't know how the cargo gets in there. Where is cargo? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay, well maybe then, maybe not. Okay. No, you're right. My mistake. Like it looked, but it looked. Yeah. But you're right. When we do see the shuttle bay in later films, it does seem significantly larger than we ever saw it in. Well, the scale of the Enterprise in Star Trek V is way off the map. They have like eight decks. which are out of order, but we'll get to that when we get to Star Trek V. (laughs) Also, uh, this movie, I did. I checked the inflation calculator. $164 $164 million. That's the budget? Yeah, in modern modern money. <sighs> that's, well. that's the cost of a Marvel movie. <laughs> but those make close to, if not over, a billion dollars in box office. How did this one do at the box office? Do we know? It did no all idea. right. It did all right. They they were hoping for, for bigger, but because the budget like, ran so high, I think that kind of screwed them over a bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from what I hear, it's 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 one of the highest grossing films in the, in the franchise. Huh. Uh, when you adjust for inflation, but uh, I think a lot of that was like international sales and sure. stuff. Mm. But net, I don't think was as high mm. as as others. But huh. it did okay, but they weren't satisfied. Well, it did, it did well enough that it got a sequel, exactly. but that sequel <laughs> had well, a much smaller budget. Well, let's talk about the sequel, right? Because we're going to be getting to that next week, and it's just a reset. Like it's a they reboot. Like this, yeah. This you could look at this as being a standalone film. I don't. I wouldn't consider Wrath of Khan a sequel. By any stretch, mm. because it's just, it's a reboot. I don't know. It's got a two after the name. <laughs> two, but this didn't have one after the name. No, I, don't, I don't know because everything is different. Like the, they they kept they held over some things, but the yeah, they part, kept the exterior. They more or less kept the bridge. They tweaked it a bit. Yeah. Um, but what are the, what are we talking about in terms of it's like a reboot? Well, they just like, are you talking well, storyline or are you talking are, assets? I mean, lots of things different, right? Like the the, costume. the costume's totally different. That's the only thing I could think of. The music's totally different. They don't well, there's also like at the end of the, this one, it's implied that maybe now Kirk is going to stay captain for a while, and they're going to bop around and have new adventures. 
They just finished this massive refit of the ship. Next movie, he's back to being an admiral, and the Enterprise is a training vessel. Yeah. Like, they spent all this time and all these resources to make it cutting edge, and they go, eh, fuck it, we're going to use it for trainees now. Yeah, that's weird. Which seems strange. But we'll talk about that as interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because that is weird. But I also do think, um, at this point in time, surely the Excelsior class is under development, at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't call me Shirley. How much sense does it make to do such a major refit on the Enterprise, on an aging class? I mean, spaceships are probably fucking mad expensive. Yeah, but this is such this this refit here is practically a new ship. Like the everything inside is different. Yeah, everything outside is different. Maybe it's like the way the U.S. Navy refits the USS Constitution. Maybe the Enterprise is like their showpiece ship. They like drive it around from port to port for people <laughs> to look at it and take pictures on it. Like, I mean. Becomes just a tourist trap. Remember how, Chris, you used to talk about how you figured, like, the captains who wind up in charge of the USS Constitution must, like, fucking hate their lives because they were like, I joined the Navy so I could do some good and what am I doing? I'm running a museum. Yeah, so I wonder if, like, that's what... That's the continuity I like. Kirk is himself a relic and winds up running the museum that becomes the USS Enterprise. We've been talking about the car uh, that... Was Decker supposed to be Commodore Decker's son? I think that was that was the initial plan that would have worked into Phase Two, right? And I know it was also it's definitely present in some novels. Okay, and some I know it's a big like made that made that uh, connection. It's definitely so, a big thing among fan like circles. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just would, assumed. Would, would uh, yeah, Matt would, Decker being the guy that killed himself in the Doomsday Machine? Yeah, yeah, would he have been? Well, would he have been? Would he have taken that out on Kirk? Do you think if they had played that? No, I think he would have had the same respect for Kirk that his dad had for Kirk by the end, mm. and kind of been that kind of a relationship. Maybe I, know. I did. I did like. You know, that's something they talked, you know, everyone made a big deal about how, oh, on Discovery, we're going to violate the the Roddenberry rule about no interpersonal conflict on the ship. Interpersonal conflict is the best part of television. Well, and also that's basically the whole thing with Decker and Kirk there. Finney and Kirk. And everybody else and Kirk. Yeah, this was very much like we were talking earlier, like how TOS this feels. And they really did go back to like first season kind of an asshole Kirk for this one. Like there were definitely times like Kirk would you fucking shut up and let people who know what they're doing because he really does. This movie is mostly Kirk making mistakes. Yeah and then McCoy telling him calm the fuck down Kirk. I don't know what I'm doing else on this ship because you don't need me here but you pulled me out of retirement which is really fucking cruel. Yeah, it was pretty shitty. He's like, oh, it sounds like there was some fucking loophole that dragged me back. Isn't that interesting, Kirk? And yet he stays in Starfleet for the next ten years or so. I mean, he could have been chilling out on Earth with all that casual nudity. And all that beard on his face. He could have gone to Delta Four. I mean, I want to go to Delta Four. What's Delta Four? That's That's where his wife is, right? No, that's where the Deltons are from. That's where the Deltons are from. Oh, yeah. And all their casual sex constantly. Yeah, but doesn't he have that sexy wife somewhere? Natira on the asteroid? Yeah, that's it. I would just have retired on the asteroid. They never would have found him. Did they ever hook back up? I hope so. Absolutely. By the way, to explain my casual nudity comment, so I, I don't know where it is anymore. Oh, there was a reason for that? Yes. Um, I thought you were just hoping that McCoy was nude somewhere. No, no, so... Oh, wait, that's Caitlin. The fate... I'm I, nude right here. <laughs> I had a book that talked about the creation of Phase 2. It's probably still my parents' house or something, I don't know. But it talked about like a lot of the stuff you discussed earlier, although not as in-depth and not 
everything about the transition. You know, it even had some of the scripts they never used and this and that, but it did have an early draft of the episode that would become Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Thy Image. It was yeah. Called. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And um, Until Roddenberry and Livingston tore it to fucking shreds. And, uh... The original script, I don't know if this was after then it was going to become a movie and they could maybe get away with a bit more, but it was going to have a scene on Earth and people were just going to totally be into casual nudity, like in parks and shit on Earth, according to this early draft. Oh my. That's a Roddenberry thing right there. No, that wasn't even... That was just like one of the early versions by the other fella. Oh, that's Mm. funny. It sounds like my kind of future. But that's why I said Doc was mad he's not on Earth with the casual nudity. That was just not a complete non sequitur. Yeah, well, you the, know what else um, Roddenberry would have put in? Sorry to tell you, cut you off, Jake. Roddenberry would have put in phase two is that no one can have alcohol anymore. Which is shocking. Except Scotty. Scotty might have a loophole. I was say, what about fucking Scotty and Doc? Yeah. I think I think he said Scotty might be able to be exempt, but otherwise no more alcohol. Why would there be no alcohol? Why isn't, why isn't Roddenberry like fun? Because it's the future. Fun? Yeah. Well, I know Roddenberry in, had a lot of weird ideas. Well, mm-hmm. and certainly in TNG we see a lot of synthahol, so... Sorry, yeah, what were you going to say, Drake? I thought it was funny. So at the end, you know, the, the, the climax of the film is, you know, they discover that V'ger is actually Voyager. And Shocking. And Decker sacrifices himself to both bang the Ilea robot, but also to... Super giant to, to get the Voyager probe to... Transmit its findings. Transmit its thing and, and transcend to another plane of existence or some nonsense. Yeah. And then, so Decker does that, and then Kirk and McCoy and Spock go back to the ship, and Kirk's like, man, we did such a great job today. We, <laughs> we, we brought into the world a new, a new life form. And McCoy's like, yeah, it's been a long time since I delivered a baby, and now I have. And I'm the whole time thinking, like, you didn't do shit. You stood there, and Decker killed himself. It's like that last scene. That's what we all wanted. (laughs) (laughs) That last scene did feel like it should have been on the end of a, again, like a TOS episode. But one where they'd actually, like you said, done something. Yeah. Like it feels like they all of a sudden remembered how the trio was supposed to interact. Because even, you know, one of them is like, yeah, and this and that. And it's going to have to, you know, it's going to have all these human foibles. And McCoy's like, right, Spock? (laughs) (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Like... So I'm like, yes, Doctor, they're going to deal with that as well. Like, all of a sudden, they remembered how those three characters worked. Hmm. And it's so incongruous, because like you said, for the rest of the film, the film didn't know how they worked. So that ending comes out of nowhere. But what they forgot is how a tragic episode like that should have ended. Because if that was a TOS episode, it would have ended with, like, a shot of the ship and, like, really quiet, sad music under the credits. Oh, but it's not tragic. They wouldn't have finished it. I I don't know. It seemed pretty bad to me. Well, no, no, because they, they, they transcended to another plane of something. Sounds like bullshit. Mm, probably it is. It sounds kind of like bullshit, to be honest. Yep. There was never any sense of tension. Those hours <laughs> of looking at awe at things. Yeah. And when you're when you're feeling awe, you don't really feel the tension. Right, but at the end they try to force like, oh, P.S., this thing's about to destroy Earth. And you're like... Oh, right, okay. I forgot about that. And obviously, that. there's... With any movie, especially something like this, you're sitting there and you're like, you know everyone's going to be fine in the end. But when a movie does it well, they're still on, oh, but how are they going to do it? You know, it's like, you know the crew's going to survive. You know James Bond is going to live. You know all these things. But it's a sense of how do they get out of this one? (laughs) This one, I don't care how they get out of it. Because I forget there's anything to get out of. You know, there's like, apparently V'ger has shot a bunch of probes. It's going to decimate the planet, I suppose. But I kept kind of forgetting. Mm. I I would say that, you know, 
aside from you're right. I mean, this. I think that the the drawn outness of the whole thing makes it a little hard to have tension. Yeah. At the same time, I do feel like this was true to in theme that this was true to to Star Trek. You know, just in terms of having the alien, yeah, having it be an unknown thing that we have to find out about. I just, I almost feel like it would have worked better if they hadn't tried to inject this false, the world is going to be destroyed thing at the end. Yeah. Like, it felt like they had forgotten, like, they feel like, oh no, we need to have, like, it's not enough for them to just go in and figure it out and fix it. Like, they have to do it on this sort of artificial, and there's not even really a countdown. We don't know how long they have. Mm. It, the ending could have worked just as well without this, like, it's about to level the planet! Yeah, that you know, as we find out, I mean, that's that's the how, that's the way you make a Star Trek film is you threaten <laughs> Earth. Yeah, yeah. You destroy the shit out of San Francisco. Yeah, or the Yorktown, or threaten yeah. to. Or throw war for Crossroom. <laughs> oh, yeah. speaking of the Yorktown, actually, one thing I did appreciate was the few shots we saw of the Enterprise inside the V'ger like main ship. Oh, it was really zoomed out. Yeah, because one thing you don't find a lot with. Any, frankly, science fiction I've seen at this point in my life is... They always talk about how huge shit is and how expansive, but you almost never feel that, to me anyway. Mm. Like, in Star Wars, even. Like, the Death Star is supposed to be this gargantuan thing. You know, the the Executor is supposed to be this enormous Star Destroyer. But because everything is so big and you so rarely see things sort of against one another in a sort of way where you can really sit and appreciate it. Like, you occasionally see, like, little fighters going at Star Destroyers, but it's so quick. There's no real, for me, appreciation of the sheer hugeness of everything. And even in Star Trek, you get that. Like, I never got the sense that the Doomsday ship was all that large. Even when we saw the other ship go into it, it's like... Because, again, you so rarely see the Enterprise against anything else. There's really no sense of how huge it actually is. Uh, the reason the Yorktown made me think of that is I feel like the Yorktown was one of the few times in modern sci-fi where I felt like they did a good job of giving you this sense of scale by what, having... What, what um, instance are you talking about the Yorktown? Star Trek Beyond, sorry. That Yorktown, the, the star base. Okay, what did they show it against? Uh, well, they show the Enterprise going into like one of its bays... And then you can kind of see it through a river. Oh, the Yorktown is a base. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I thought it's it was the, a ship. It, no, no, sorry. It's that big base that... um. In Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, that, that gets... Th- it's sort of the main thing that gets threatened in the I know, I know the Yorktown is a ship on TOS. It is, so. yeah. That's Sorry, that's part of this. I'm talking about the Yorktown, the base, and the Kelvin timeline. Stupid Kelvin timeline. But there's a moment oh. there where you sort of... You see the Enterprise sort of going into a dock there. And you can kind of see it through part of the city that's translucent. You get a sense of how big everything is. And this also did a good job because you see the Enterprise... You know, first against the cloud, and you're like, all right, you kind of get an idea, because you sort of roughly know how big the Klingon ships are, and then you see it as this speck, and it's like, yeah, for once, you kind of get an idea of, like, no, really, though, it gives you to look at, it's one of the few times where just giving you a to look at things mm. actually worked out, because it's like, yes, this is what I want to take a minute to look at, this thing, that's like, no, here, this ship, which we have established is pretty big, which they did a slightly better job at by showing it in the base with the little spaceman floating around it, although then they fuck it up later, because when they get out to go visit V'ger, the people are way too big in comparison to the saucer. Yeah. Well, let's... Speaking of scale... So, at the beginning of the movie, they say that the, the cloud is, what, like 80 AU? 80-something AU. Was it 80? Yeah. I thought it was in the 40s, but... No, it was, still. 80, it was 80-something. Okay. Yeah, AU, 80, like, that would make it, like, bigger than the solar system, right? Like, 
quite a bit bigger. Yeah, because an AU, remind me, is that the that's one our dis- solar system? No, or that's, that's the a Earth distance the between Earth and the Sun. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Pluto is about 80 AU okay. away. Or no, about four, not 80, 40, about 40 AU. So this is this thing is wider than twice but that's the distance. But cl- that's the cloud, right? That's the cloud. But inside the cloud, the thing is smaller than that. But still. still. It must be enormous. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, look at how tiny the Enterprise is inside it. But, so wait, I mean, how but, close to Earth is it when it comes in? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like this thing would still be pretty far away from Earth by the time it's well, it, the edge of the cloud is touching Earth. I mean, it's pretty. Hmm. Well, the the cloud has dispersed. I think before it gets to the solar Does it system. Say that? Does it ever say that? So that's part of the problem is because we don't because they're stuck inside V'ger. Well, the V'ger outer shell thing. All they're getting is, because they can't transmit out, but apparently transmissions with Starfleet are getting in. And, like, at one point, Uhura does mention that sensors, Starfleet is tracking it and the cloud has gone away. Oh, I missed that. But I forget exactly when. They may have technically already been in the solar system when the cloud went away. Mm. And certainly by the time they're parked, the cloud is definitely gone and they were being picked up by, like, lunar sensors. So they are oddly close. Hmm. Like, that ship really is, like, very close to Earth. And since it's so big, they can probably see it. Yeah. How long was it here? Was it blocking out the sun? How much damage did it do to the Earth just by being there for a little while? (laughs) Oh, God. So, this is only the most loosely related, but... Another thing that I was thinking when we were watching it, they're like, alright, we gotta gotta risk going to warp in the solar system. It's like, guys, guys, go up. (laughs) and go to war. Oh my god, they should. Why has that never come up? Because no one has 3D thinking, a la con. Yeah, like just, I mean, I know you're probably still within the gravity well of the sun, and I'm sure that's part of the risk, I guess, not just the whole, there's debris everywhere, although as I think you said, Ames, like, they've never been worried about going to warp in solar systems before, but whatever. Whoops. But yeah, like, if it's that big of a deal, go up. Almost everything in our solar system, as far as I know, is basically on the same plane. I'm sure there's some random yeah, it debris. Really is, isn't it? There's yeah. comets and shit. Well, yeah, but off. they have deflector shields, like whatever, don't they? I mean, the like, dish, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, so, right. what's the big deal? I would guess that unless you flew directly into a planet. Yeah, like go up and then go to warp and then get into your shitty wormhole scene. <laughs> shitty wormhole mm, scene. Warm. No, and then cut the shitty wormhole scene. Yes, and go on to the next yes. Fucking Fly so far up that you don't go into the wormhole and uh, chop like 25 minutes out of this movie. Find a different way to show that Decker does genuinely know the ship better than Kirk. I'm sure there was something if you'd taken five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Torpedo. <laughs> oh god, I will say the I was about to say the one great thing about that scene was hearing Koenig's Russian accent slowed down. That's <laughs> hilarious. The rest of it is pain. Oh, poor Walter. Giving us joyful laughter all the Listen, time. He he earned his sandwich this week. He's fine. Mm. Yeah. They did charge him for the burn self cream, though. That's true. <laughs> it's true. Which was three and a half sandwiches. So at the end of it, he was two and a half sandwiches out of out of his own pocket. You know. So <laughs> I like to imagine that Walter Canning just has a wallet full, full of sandwiches. sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> so people are like Walter, why, why are you bringing that cooler with you? What cooler? That is wallet. That is wallet. That is where I keep my currency. I was told the only thing that people trade in these days is ham sandwiches. Is this not correct? <laughs> No one tell him. <laughs> oh God, it's good to have him back. 
It is. I will give you six ham sandwiches for a pair of jeans. Yes? It's good trade. It's good ham. Black Forest ham. <laughs> From Virginia. <laughs> Virginia. This is where we have good Black Forest ham. It's a Russian invention. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Well done, Kate. Thank you, Ames. That was fantastic. Oh, man. I think... <laughs> I think our listeners should send in things for me to say. <laughs> voice. I'll be like that guy from Honest Trailers. Yeah, there we go. Except in Russian. Yeah. So, can we talk about... Nah. <laughs> what the fuck is up with Kirk's hair color? Like, he's got, no like, idea. He has black hair in this uh, movie. It's not Jake. black. It's Jake. dark, dark brown. Jake. It's a piece. No. <laughs> It's, I mean, why wouldn't they give him the same hair color he had on the show if he's wearing a wig? I mean, I think, because we did talk about this and I did think about it, and I do genuinely think it's whatever filter or color correction or whatever they did because Koenig's hair is a lot darker than it normally looks. Mm. And you're right, in later films it does look a little lighter. Again, it never gets it's quite as light. It's curlier, Yeah, though. it's not. Yeah. yeah. That's a weird thing. Like, between original series and the movies, Kirk gets curly dark brown hair. Yeah. Before having straight blonde hair in the show. As someone who was born a platinum blonde and has become is edging closer and closer to an ugly mousy brown, maybe it was just age. Just age. Blonde hair does darken with age. Like uh-huh. my hair is oh yeah, I mean like my if you remember my natural hair color, like when I was a when I was like a little baby, my hair was like platinum platinum blonde and it's gotten like significantly mm. darker. I think I feel like with children though, like the going going from blonde to dark is one thing, but for an adult, do adults change that much too? I mean, probably when he started to go gray, he decided to dye his hair, and for some uh, reason he went brown. That Maybe. could be it too, yeah. Because I'm sure he started to go gray, and I mean everything we know of Shatner, he's a pretty vain guy. Now, why his hair suddenly changed texture? I got nothing. I wonder if it's because maybe in the series they were they were doing like a different uh, treatment to it. No, maybe because well, I, I feel like I feel like there was a, a, a comment somewhere that he's nat- he has naturally curlier hair. Oh, and, does in he? The, okay. In the series, they probably had to like primp it and oh, give I it didn't... give it a good spritz with something. So well, this actually might be his guess, hair. Guess... Funny you should mention it. Well. The hair on the side is his hair. I guess his hair never really was blonde, blonde. It was no, just but it was lighter, definitely a much lighter, lighter brown. brown. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting though because um, movie Kirk, this guy, what's his name, Pine? Mm-hmm. Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Yeah. He's 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 yeah, just, he's he's just got straight up blonde hair. Well, that's also partly the lighting in that scene. But yes, his hair is much much lighter than Shatner's ever was. To go back to Ames's point about straightening the hair, this is sort of a segue into straightening of hair because one of the things that I noticed about this film that I like loved was Lieutenant Uhura has a fucking bitch in afro she in this does. movie and I-, I looked into it while we were watching the movie because uh, I had not realized it's actually funny I don't remember what prompted this but I did a search for the motion picture why did I do that I don't remember to be I don't honest. either. But anyway, that was the first time I'd actually seen a picture of the movie uniforms was this morning. And uh, I was like, what the fuck? She did not believe they were as bad as I'd been saying them. Well, no, again, I believed you. It's just that, like, you know, my mind pictured something bad and the truth was so much worse. Like, it wasn't <laughs> that I didn't believe you. It's just that I, I couldn't stretch my imagination far enough to encompass. But at any rate, the one great thing, in my opinion, that happened with this movie in terms of costumes and whatever, is Uhura was rocking this sweet-ass afro. And it was her real afro, and it turns out that she actually kind of 
fought for it. Oh, nice. And earlier tonight, uh, I was looking it up online to find out, you know, just typed into Google literally, like, was Uhura rocking her own natural hair in Star Trek the motion picture? And that brought me to uh, a Tumblr called trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com, just Trekkie Feminist boldly going where no feminist has gone before. And they have this great quote that I'm going to read from Nichelle Nichols, and it oh. says, I was one of the first black women in the country more years ago than I care to remember who wore an afro outside in public. This was way before Star Trek. I wore one of the biggest afros in New York, but I wore it with Dior and Chanel suits. One of the other persons uh, who was the first to wear an afro, but she cut it very short, was Cecily Tyson. But when it came time to do the Star Trek movie, I had to fight for that afro. It was nothing against the afro, but the feeling was that the afro had become so very popular that it looked too contemporary. I said, however, the afro is not modern. The afro has been around for at least, not less than 5,000 years, and probably at least 10,000. I'm not sure how long we've been on the planet, but as long as there have been black people, the afro has been around. Then they said, well, it can't be the big bubble, so let's try to get a more Uhura style. I said, what are you going to do? Deny her race and make her hair straight again? If we're we're going to have to live through that again. They assured me that what they had in mind was more of a balance, and we agreed. We said, okay, women in the future will do all kinds of things as they have in the past. For 5,000 years and more, they've straightened their hair and curled it and rolled it and twisted it and braided it and twirled it and shaved it off and done everything under the sun. And so in the future, it's very conceivable that just as we do today, black people will do these twirly curl kind of things and point their bangs, and this would be peculiar to Uhura, the pointed bangs and long sideburns. I think this is funny, too. To tell the truth, I really wanted cornrow braids. And don't you dare call them Bo Derek braids. That's something that we've been doing for thousands of years before she was mm. born. And uh, so, yeah, this was apparently uh, in, I think it's from a film, I think, Return to Tomorrow, the filming of Star Trek The Motion Picture. And I just thought that was great. Get it, girl. Because I, I, mean, I think this rings true today. It's, again, for me, Star Trek being very progressive, like, in, even in this really shitty movie. Like, because even now, you know... People are getting shit for wearing their natural hair in public, be it afros or, like, you know, doing, like, braids is, like, against a lot of school dress codes and all this kind of shit. And, you know, Nichelle, we've talked about this before, like, you know, very famously had this conversation with Martin Luther King Jr. about, like, you know, it's really important that you stay on the show because it proves that, you know, we have a place in the future. And then I feel like she, like, fought hard for, like, traditional black culture. And I just think that's fucking awesome. So for me, that's one of the bright spots in this otherwise not excellent film. Although now, I... I... Almost wish she'd had the cornrows, because that's kind of great, too. I don't think we've had cornrows in Star Trek. Well, maybe, maybe Discovery maybe. will boldly go, mm. as long as they don't... They'll fuck it up and give it to Jason Isaacs. <laughs> so, yeah, back to uh, back to this, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we got a little off course. But, yeah, no, that's a great story about Nichelle Nichols there fighting for yeah. her natural hair. Good on her. And you can tell a, me... It is a kind of a shame that she has to fight for every fucking thing she does yes. in this show. Yes. Mm. But it's good that she... Does it, too. You know yes, what I mean? Absolutely like, is. I'm glad that she does it. Yeah. I do wish they'd let her just go full big afro, though. But they did, like I said, they, they clearly did sort of shave down the sides a little so it would look... It's a futuristic afro! Still, it was sexy, though. The first... Yeah, yeah. She was, that, like, especially with these drab-ass, ugly costumes, one of the first things with her just having her beautiful hair, I was just like... <gasps> it's just a shame she was un- wasn't in a better uniform. Or a better movie. I mean, frankly, like <laughs> I mean, it could have. I, you know, I'll admit I haven't watched this in a long time, and it's better than I remembered. But it does just feel like, oh god, guys, one more edit. Yeah, I mean, if they had gone through the editing, it would have been it would have been fine because it's a it, the, the story is fine. Yes, the script 
is repetitive. Is repetitive, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it look, most of that was the fault of them not having it fucking written until last second. Yeah, yeah. Or the, and them not getting all the opticals ready until last second, and not yeah. getting the music ready until yeah. last well, second. Well, and even, I guess, from what I read in that Omni article, like, a lot of the uniform work was being done last second, too. Mm. I mean, costuming, not just Didn't the Didn't you say that he was working on that shit for, like, ten months, though? Yeah, but, like, some of the finished work wasn't... They, there were points where they were, they were overlapping with production, so, like, they were just barely keeping ahead of the filming schedule, oh, he said. we talked about that, I think, when you wrote the article initially. Didn't we talk about, like, they got... No, I mean, I'm thinking the original series. Like, getting the wrong color fabric and having to dye a lot of shit. Was that the motion that picture was or was that TOS. TOS? Oh, damn. All right. Never mind. Hmm. I was incorrect. It's okay. Yeah, I wanted to see... Because there are a number of Phase 2 scripts that mm-hmm. eventually got made into... TNG episodes. TNG episodes. Yeah. I'm curious... Which of those they were, and if any of them would have been a better fit for a movie. Because I always kind of felt that Encounter uh, at Farpoint, which is the pilot for TNG, could have been. I mean, this is one. Of, this is one of my big differences between a television series and a movie. Is like a television series. You're 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 watch it in your living room. You watch it, you know, in, in an evening or something, whenever it's slotted. Because at that time they didn't, you know, have fucking Netflix. Yeah, or you, didn't have, you didn't have binge watching back. Yeah, then. you didn't. You didn't. DVR things to watch later. What is it, Jake? I was gonna say since since this you know since we we're also kind of talking about phase two in this show in this episode, I, I do you guys mind if I talk about some of the scripts for phase two that please so for once it won't be me talking. So I'm just I'm just going through memory alpha on my phone right now. And for why. once, Jake talking will not be poop jokes. It will. Been, it won't. Give it time. You've been good. In the first episode that was written, it was nothing but poop. Yes. There. Sorry about that. All right. So, um, so here's some of the episodes. So, in thy image, which eventually was uh, made into is what was the basis for this for the mm-hmm. motion picture. Here's another one. Tomorrow in the stars, reminiscent of the city on the edge of forever. Kirk falls in love with a woman on Earth at the time of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh, for Christ's sake! I'm not even going to finish reading the the synopsis of that one. Yeah. Wow. Um, Does he wow. have to let her get hit by a truck or what? By a bomb. Um. Um, the child um, in the story Ilea was mysteriously impregnated and within days gave birth to a baby girl Erska who appeared to be fully Delton a curious alien life form wished to study the crew but her presence threatened the ship doesn't that actually become a TNG episode it sounds very familiar I can't remember oh actually yeah that's exactly a, a TNG episode called the the child the name of the TNG episode uh, oh, except I think it's, it's been so long. That's a terrible episode. I think it was Troy that was in it. Troy got mysteriously pregnant? I can't remember how it went, but... Riker. All right. Um, here's another, another Riker one. Riker was Decker Part 2. Mm. Oh, goodness. Cassandra, about a clumsy yeoman and oh, a for... tiny, trouble-causing creature intended to have joined the ranks among such comedy episodes as The Trouble with Tribbles oh, and A Piece no. of the Action. Oh, boy, you would have loved that yeah. one, Ames. I'm not going to lie. Great. That sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> Did it make it into TNG? No, that one's not TNG. <laughs> I don't think. Well, it made it uh, into I mean, the there's certainly can. goofy, stupid Actually, TNG episodes. that became the basis for Neelix's character. Mm. Stop trashing Neelix. Never. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but man, his costumes are... Let's see what else we get here. Well, Another one. Uh, I know, but... Ugh. Practice in Waking. In this tale, the Enterprise found a sleeper ship with only one passenger. Upon beaming over to investigate, Decker, Scotty, and Sulu discovered a woman in suspended animation. Scotty inadvertently touched the control panel, and three officers collapsed to the deck, only to reawaken in ancient Scotland. 
without any memories of their lives aboard the starship. They met the same woman and protected her from mobs who accused her of being a witch. Back in the Enterprise, McCoy determined that the landing party's life signs were becoming progressively weaker. His prognosis was that the longer the trio remained in their dreaming state, the closer they came to dying. So Kirk and his crew had to somehow awaken them before they drifted off into a final sleep. Did they do, like, true love's kiss or... Scotch? Um, Alright, Deadlock. Built a portrait of Starfleet gone mad. Practicing mind control techniques on its personnel. Lying and experimenting upon them by altering their perceptions of reality. However, there was another explanation for what Kirk and his crew experienced leading to a scene in which Kirk defended humanity to a group of aliens. That just sounds like the B-plot in Farpoint with Q. Or the fucking plot of Magics of Megas 2. The Savage Syndrome. Not the Savage Curtain. The Savage Syndrome. Featured a technology that unleashed dark urges repressed in humans. Okay. So, sort of yet another take on space madness. Mm. But it's um, dark urges instead of just wacky urges. But also kind of um, the enemy within or whatever it's called. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Mm. The Double Kirk episode, yeah. Our Unheard Melody Sweet. That's the title? That's the the title. Is it Sweet, S-W-E-E-T, or Sweet, W-S-I-S-U-I-T? No, Sweet as in mm, tasty. Ah. Uh, Mm. Called for nudity in suggestive situations that probably would not have been filmed, let alone allowed to air. Written by Gene Gene Roddenberry. Roddenberry. No, written by Worley Thorne. Oh, okay. Um, Gene Roddenberry's pen name? Yeah. I was about to say that. Yet the story was a standard Star Trek adventure with the Enterprise once again being trapped in a falling orbit, or failing <laughs> orbit without dilithium. Yes. While an yes. alien race attempted to capture the crew. <laughs> being fair, there could not possibly be a more Star Trek motion picture than that Star Trek motion yes. picture. Devils do. In the story, the Enterprise made first contact with the planet Natara, just as a mythical creature who had sold the planet in exchange for peace millennia ago appeared. That actually is a TNG episode. Oh, yeah. I think I've seen that one. It's actually it's, it's a silly one, but it's More funny. like devils don't. But, yeah. <laughs> I'll just tell you what happened. Well, I won't tell you what happened. We'll get to that when we get to TNG. Lord Bobby's Obsession. How many episode uh, storylines were there? There 13. Oh, my. So Lord Bobby's obsession was written by... Okay, blah, blah, blah. The Enterprise came across a derelict Klingon cruiser with one life form oh, aboard. One Lord Bobby from Earth's 18th century. Uh-huh. Is it secretly Trelane? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is this just Gothos Part 2? Because that's what it sounds like. It doesn't like. sound like it was ever finished. Yo, why didn't Gothos wind up in any of the fucking movies? That'd be cool. This is some bullshit. They kind of cue eventually. <gasps> they should bring Gothos back for the next Star Trek Kelvin timeline episode movie, rather. Oh, Ames, you'd have to see it then. I mean, I still see the Kelvin oh, movies. Right. I just don't like movies as much Gothos? as I like television. Who could play Gothos now? Oh, I don't. I see. I also don't know actors. You know names. what they would probably do? They faces. I bet it'd be Tom Hiddleston. I don't even know who that is. Tom Hiddleston because I don't think they can. He plays Loki. Tom Hiddleston. I don't know. They got Benedict Cumberbatch. It's true. So yeah, that's, there's a couple other ones here, but... Oh, boy. Mike Myers is... Some, some of these don't have actual synopses. They're just titles for scripts that were pitched. So I'll just read those real quickly. Hmm. Ghost Story. Merlin's Magic. Oh, Ghost? No. Fuck's sake. Paradise Lost. The Prisoner. Hmm. And that's it. Who is number one? Yeah, who is number Almost one? Almost all of those Ooh, titles sound six. like they could have been really bad fan fiction as well. Yeah, yeah, or just shitty novels. God. I think we should all be grateful Phase 2 didn't happen. But didn't I, um, one of the fan-produced series that they've done, wasn't one of them Star Trek Phase 2? 
I feel like. I mean, they probably took the title, right? Yeah, but I think it. I don't know if they used any of the. I wonder. I wonder if they did. I know that. Some Hopefully, of, they fixed them if they did. Some of those fan-produced ones, I've seen one, and the acting was mostly what you'd expect for like an, an unprofessional, you know, like an amateur production. Mm. The production quality, so, but though, still better than Shatner, or yeah, yeah, can't say. Star Trek: The Motion Picture. The last thing that I wanted to, to mention about Star Trek: The Motion Picture is that when uh, I know we saw uh, Isaac Asimov's name is in, oh, yeah. uh, is in yeah. the credits somewhere as you know some kind science of science advisor, yeah, consultant type. You guys are like, huh, Isaac Asimov. I said, ah, I looked that up because. Apparently, at the beginning, when they were, you know, working on this stuff, there was a big controversy over the intelligent, the machine intelligence concept that's at the fucking root of the entire fucking story. Of, you know, would intelligence be able to get this advanced that it would, you know, essentially turn into sentient life? And all the producers and all the people at Paramount are like, guffaw, this is silly and nonsense. Until they ask Isaac Asimov as someone who writes a lot on this stuff, like, do you think this is, you know, a logical turn of events that could possibly happen and he's like yeah yeah i write this all the time and it makes a lot of a lot of scientific sense and they're like oh we're so, we still don't know we're still not sure if this is a thing that that would that would work until almost at the same time just coincidentally an article in penthouse comes out <laughs> interviewing nasa director robert jastro or jastro i apologize if i'm mispronouncing i think it's jastro no idea talking yeah. about artificial intelligence like that kind of stuff and and machines and science and they're like oh okay we're we just happen to be reading penthouse we realized this so yeah go ahead well wow. i'm sure they, they only get it for the article they so. actually read the articles good for them i'm sure they did other things with it but good for them okay but here's the thing and i don't mean any disrespect to isaac asimov but he was a fucking sci-fi writer who cares what his opinion I mean, is sci-fi, sci- that's, that's the other thing like sci-fi isn't fucking fantasy sci-fi has a lot of basis in fact and philosophy yeah, good good science fiction is written by people who research actual science before they write it. Well, sure, but I mean, yeah, right. Asimov Asimov was one of the better ones. Arthur C. Clarke was actually a scientist. Well, I'm just saying, like, it's one thing to be a science fiction writer and have having gone to a library and read some stuff. It's a totally different thing to be like a NASA official person whose job is actually this stuff. I don't know. I just feel like... I'm not saying you couldn't take Isaac Asimov's word for it. I'm just saying, like, especially back... I think now it's a little cooler and more okay to be a science fiction nerd, but I'm guessing back then that it was even less acceptable than it was when we were kids. Like, I feel like probably the stuff of, like, nerds who live in their mom's basements probably back then. I don't know. Maybe they just thought Isaac was a a basement nerd. I have no idea. I mean, what the fuck do studio executives know? Hugely famous person. Yeah, like... Isaac Asimov? Yeah, of course. Studio executives are some of the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet. They always have been. They always will be. They are ignorant, ass-backwards, head-up-their-fucking-tookus jackwits. Yes. And that's, Take and that's, Isaac Asimov's word, you jumped-up morons, and then go do your cocaine. Yeah, that's why I brought up, like, at the beginning of this of this episode, like, how many fucking iterations of... TV and movie and back to TV series and back to movie this had to go through to be a thing because you get stuck in all the the executive production bullshit. bullshit. What I don't get though is of all of the fucking things that they're going to be like incredulous about. That's the problem. That's the bullshit. No, no, they were totally into, wait, so we get this, this Ilya probe and she's just like a woman and even her eyeballs have moisture. Humana, 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 humana. (laughs) 
Because you know what that implies. <laughs> they made a specific point to bring it up that she's just like a woman. F- fucking hell. Um, Vagina. I don't know. For me, the most ridiculous thing about this movie is that the Enterprise, mm-hmm. the ship that is in space dock being refitted, is the only ship... <laughs> Anywhere around Earth. Yeah. Yo, space is real fucking big. Yeah, but Earth is the fucking headquarters of Starfleet. So everybody's out on mission. I don't know. They I intercepted. Don't buy it. They intercepted Spock on the way. No, Spock well, intercepted them. Oh well, yeah, Spock, Spock intercepted that's them. That's another thing is bullshit because they were way off course, having yeah. gone through the wormhole, and yeah. yet somehow Spock gets there in his little tiny well, shuttle. Well, then I mean, look, what in, happens to that shuttle? Because he, he he hooks up and then they keep going. Did they leave the little little? Well, the well, no, like, is the gone. End I think of there was probably a, another now. person on board. Yeah, there was a crew. It was definitely heading back uh, to uh, relate uh, with uh, the nacelles. Yes, that makes sense. I would like to point out. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! Yeah. I have to. I have a bone to pick with you, You Star Trek the motion picture, so-called Star (laughs) Trek. I have have a major qualm about the scene in which Spock returns to the Enterprise. I believe that you have made an error, because when his shuttle approaches and docks with the Enterprise, it docks on deck one! Immediately behind the bridge. It is seen from the outside of the ship. Yep. He then enters the ship. He is greeted by Chekhov. Yep. And then it cuts to Spock entering the bridge from the elevator. Alone. Alone. So did he go downstairs and then back upstairs to the bridge? And then suddenly Chekhov is on the bridge a cut later? And then Chekhov is on the bridge having never entered. Yeah. What happened, Star Trek? Mm. Now, I'm going to say that perhaps the turbo lift has two positions on deck one. Okay, yeah. One to the docking ring and one to the... They can whip around. But still, that just seems impractical. Why don't you just have a door from the... Docking shuttle dock yeah. area. Why yeah. have it docked to the bridge? That's in the true. First that seems place? a bad idea. That seems like a bad idea. Also, That's... earlier when Kirk and Scotty docked, they did not dock to the bridge. They no, they docked... docked to engineering. Yeah. Well, Scotty yeah. had to go to engineering, and Scotty true. is more important. Well, but, apparently. But keep in mind, Ames, this is a fleet that puts its bridges on top of a giant saucer. When they could very well put it deep within any other part of the ship and not make it a gargantuan target. Mm, true. Starfleet design has never really relied on logic. The elevator thing sort of makes sense, though, because we did comment during the film on the fact that the placard outside of the elevator seems to ins- suggest that it is it goes front ways and sideways and up yeah, ways and down does. ways. And the snozzberries taste like snozzberries. I've heard that. I still think that having... Just having a door. Would, having a door would have been Well, fun. but maybe there's some kind of weird, like, environmental breach situation where they don't want you to, like, you know, connect your spaceship to a well, they, big hole in the ship. That's and true. Have Why have that by and just have a And just have a flimsy door between the two? Like, maybe there's, like, a reason. Also, if you've got a ship, a, a, a long-range shuttle you've specifically designed yourselves... Why not just design it in such a way that it can hook up with another ship without having to jettison its fucking nacelles? None of this makes sense. Mm. Nope. The position of the lo- dock, the design of the fucking shuttle. Yeah. 
Do you think Spock got in trouble later for knocking zonking that guy out for in the? Of course not. He's Kirk's fucking best friend. I don't know why. He oh, didn't when he do was that. in his space block. When he stole, so he stole a spacesuit. Why didn't he just walk in and be like, Ensign, I'm taking a spacesuit. Yeah, really. I am your commanding officer. So see yeah, ya. that's true. It's probably even his... Decker was fine with him calling the shots. You know, you would think. Yeah, yeah. Decker, man, Kirk must have felt like shit. Because he stole Decker's job and Decker was all mad. And then yep. Spock comes and steals Decker's new job. And Decker's like, oh, no, it's cool. Spock's great. I've heard about Spock. He's awesome. <laughs> Kirk's like, you son of a bitch. You know what's super, super funny? Stephen Collins, who played Decker, wasn't cast until a week before filming. Who the fuck was playing Decker before that? Nobody. Oh, Jesus. What a shit show. Mm. They had no idea what to do with him. They couldn't get any other famous pedophiles? Jeffrey Jones was busy? or. <laughs> Wow. I can't imagine. Can you imagine Jeffrey Jones in that part? That'd be great. <laughs> Hopefully with his fucking Ferris Bueller's Day Off mustache. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> something we didn't point out is that this film had an overture. It did. Which is something you don't see on films. No. No. Ever. I mean, it's it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written for any Star Trek ever, but it is weird. Yeah, what was it? Like how there's a qualification. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written for Star Trek. But don't worry, I just don't want to take away from the fact that it is a very, very lovely piece of music. Oh no, the music's gorgeous. But it's bizarre. Like no, usually... It's, it's, it's like two minutes long. Yeah, like you it's usually... Like, what are you doing? When a movie people opens, filing in eating popcorn? What's going on now? Yeah, like usually... I, there was definitely a trend in the 70s of like 70s film adaptations of musicals to have an overture. Yeah, Scrooge did. Scrooge did, Fiddler on the Roof, you know, various... Did, uh, I think Oliver. Did Hateful Eight have a... Uh... Oh, I don't remember. It might have been, like, if you did the whole big 70-millimeter, like, roadshow version. I think it did. I just can't. Well, they definitely had an intermission, right? Yeah. Because I remember the curtains closing. That's what this movie could have used. Yeah. Maybe put music there. 2001 had an intermission. We built in our own intermission, remember? Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's a little weird for a non-musical to have an overture. Especially since I remembered there being a Starfield, at least. But no, it was just a black screen. Starfield would have been better. Or even just like the fucking logo, anything, something. Here's another thing about this movie that I think, the, and about a lot of movies of that era, is that probably between the time of this movie and Star Trek II, mm. one big thing was the explosion of home video. Mm. VCRs so, came around between then. Well, I mean, VCRs came out in the seventies, but they probably. Weren't. Oh, I thought they got big. I thought it was the eighties. You're probably well, right. They became big in the eighties. That's oh, probably yeah. when they got affordable for more. Like people. yeah, like people like Betamax was probably out. I think by the late seventies, VHS may have been out, but again, it was it was before the format wars, and it was pro- you know most people probably didn't have VCRs at home, and home movies or home video, I should say, was probably not a big as big a thing mm. as it became in the eighties. Mm. So. The filmmakers of this movie were really anticipating creating a you know something that people would likely experience once in the theater. Yeah. So having an overture, like if you think about that in the sense of like going to the theater, yeah. Lights go down, total dark theater, overture starts. You get two minutes of overture. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's weird when you're sitting at home in your living yeah. room and that happens, but you know. Yeah, no, I can see that. And, like, I can also understand why they, in some ways, would do those long effect shots. Because, again, that's this it's a spectacle thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. For, for the people watching in the theater at the time, it was all probably pretty fucking incredible, actually. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think also part of it, though, was probably spurred to an extent by Star Wars, though, for the mm. effect shots. It was like, Star Wars had all these effects, and they're like, you know, the executives are probably like, wait, wait, there's no, like, big, big little 
Space battles? It's like, no, it's Star Trek, you idiots. Yeah, well, that's oh, the thing. Fuck. I think they probably were like, oh, we have to have all these effect shots, and no one realized that, oh, the reason why Star, Star Wars had so many effect shots is because it's, a, it's an action fantasy yeah, set in space. Yeah, not a... And it's got wars right in the title. Yeah, yeah this this really isn't... It's when like Star Trek... This is more of a Trek than a yeah. war. Well, and when Trek's more like, and like you know, Star Wars. <laughs> oh, there's Star, your title. Star Wars action mostly is based on like old footage of like World War Two. Yeah, oh yeah, like dog, dog fights dog and fighting, yeah. other aerial battles. When Star Trek does space battles, it's based on submarine films. Okay. It's a very different kind of battle. Mm. All right, so let's let's just talk about the battles, the space battles. There's some great space battles in this film. There's a great <laughs> battle between the Klingons and a cloud. <laughs> Later, there's a great battle between the Enterprise and a potato. <laughs> Don't forget about that great scene between a cloud and a space station. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Riveting. Well, they don't fire weapons, though. So, I mean, I'm thinking just, like, scenes when weapons get used. The Klingons kick the shit out of that cloud. They do. They do. Oh! And uh, the Enterprise fires on an asteroid. Well, that was, that was the oh, potato. Oh, that was the potato. Son of a bitch, the, you're right. There was the battle between Ilea and the medical bay door. Oh, <laughs> God! I forgot about that. Off screen, though. Yeah, so true. we just hear a noise. The, you hear a noise, and we turn back and you see, see it burst like, through the door. You see the slightest bit of it because they had to film that like three times oh because they God, couldn't find the right did. material of door to and have then they just through. didn't. And then they did it off screen anyway. You could see a little bit of it on screen, but totally not worth it. Like no, they could have no. just had it off screen at that point. Uh, was it just fucking blurry like everything else in this movie? Yeah, some yeah. of the cinematography choices. They did some interesting things. They yeah, use like a not lot of, cleaning the lenses. They, well, they use a lot of split focus lenses where you had like normally a lens has one focal point, so you can focus on either something that's close or, or something far. that's far away. Yeah, but they they kept using ones where they would have a foreground actor in focus and then in the background right behind him would be out of focus and then the other half of the frame was the background in focus and there's yeah, a, someone in the background usually like, the five head well that's the thing there's this weird scene at the beginning where you have kirk and it's really shallow depth of field on kirk so yep. like his nose is in focus yep and everything else is out of focus. And then the other half of the shot is a completely, perfectly crisp yeah. shot of Fivehead just standing around in the background. So called because he had lots and lots and lots of foreheads. Just... For anybody not. I mean, that was part of the. We're not the, making the, fun of people with five heads. No, this was. He was an alien. He was yeah. supposed to yeah, be one of the. He was meant aliens. to have a lot of foreheads. Yeah. He was meant to look like, you know, he had lots like of. If you brain. have a five head or even a six head, I have. The utmost respect for you. I mean, I'm slowly growing a five head, what with my hairline receding very quickly. Exactly. So, like, tonally, those sorts of shots just don't serve the film, either. They just seem... I feel like when you usually see those sort of weird split-focus shots, I think of that in terms of, like, you know, almost Hitchcockian thriller. Or some sort of weird tense moment. This is just used for conversations. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be trying to establish an atmosphere that just didn't exist. But again, there were cinematography issues here, because again, the, the models weren't always lit right. It was bizarre. Like, they really wanted to be way fancier than they had the skill or budget or something for. I don't know. It's not a disaster. It's much better than I remember it being. But it's almost frustrating, because you can see how with just a little bit of extra work, if things weren't being so rushed, if they'd had a better edit, it could have been better. Well, so speaking of edits, I've, I've often heard the legend, I don't know if it, like, that supposedly, this is a, this might be an urban legend, but I've heard it before, Topher Grace of that 70s show fame. And yeah, Spider-Man 3. I've mm -hmm. heard of this too. Um, 
made a edit, a fan edit of Star Wars Episode One. I think right. It's actually it's so he supposedly has compressed one through three mm-hmm. into a single slightly long movie. That makes sense. That makes sense and works a lot better. So what we need is Topher Grace to do a fan edit. Of, there we go. Of Star Trek the Motion Picture. Let's email his people. Let's do it. Let's put it. Let's make why it why happen. Why we just do Tof, it? if you're listening, we know he's a fan. Um, <laughs> but we really want you to do a fan edit of this movie for us. Could you fix it a little? Yeah. Oh, and maybe if you can, this might be harder. But if you could fix, there's this one scene in engineering where the background noise in engineering yeah, that was dumb is in the forefront, and you can barely make out the that speech. That might just be the bad mix. That's me. The mix is shit. If you can fix that somehow, if you can get your hands oh, on like the original audio files. You know, here's the thing though. I doubt that this was ever mixed in surround sound until it was mm. put on DVD. True. So maybe think, just listening know. to it in stereo, it would have worked. Yeah, mm. possibly. Maybe. Like they probably did a weird mix when they. Remastered and they tried for, to for, for yeah, surround five one. Yeah, that scene was annoying though. Yeah. Yeah. With that, this has been episode fifty. Wow! Of a star to steer her by. Do please find and like our Facebook page, A Star to Steer Her By. We are also on Twitter and Tumblr as SSHB Podcast. Uh, do please subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting application. And if you have or use iTunes, do please consider giving us a, uh, a little rating and review. Next week. We will be looking at the big one, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. For a starter steer her by, this has been Chris. This has been Ames. This has been Caitlin. And this is always Jake. Thank you very much for listening. We forgot to mention Yeoman Rand! <laughs> oh, wow, we've gone almost two hours. I yeah, fucking no. told you guys we can cut it on an episode. Y'all yeah. were like, oh, it'll be a normal episode. I was like, well, I bet it won't. Well, but it is. Lots to cut. Either way, it is potentially. <laughs> nope, just do it like the motion picture. Leave everything in there. <laughs> in fact, if you can find a way to slow down our speech in some of the We're going through here's, a wormhole. Actually, here's what you should do is before the. before You know, normally you open the episode with hello and welcome to the Star yeah, yeah. Play our theme song, but play the entire. <laughs> Composition. <laughs> that's, I think that's a great idea. I think that's approximately 10 to 15 minutes, yeah. Um, could you yeah. actually please do that?